As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This little bonus episode of Pod on the Tine was initially recorded as a live room on The Athletic app. If you want to take part in future live rooms with myself, George and Chris, you need to subscribe to The Athletic. And lucky you, there's a discount code running for new subscribers right now of just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to sign up. Good evening, everybody. It's George Culkin here from The Athletic. I'm going to hang about for a second whilst people join us and see if there is a way for me to invite people to join this very special live room edition of Pod on the Time. And just bear with us for a moment while people join us. Let's crack on. Hello, 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 everyone. Absolutely right then. Hello, everybody. Slightly later than advertised. Uh, we're looking at you, George, for that. Uh, welcome to this very special live room edition of Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by the fine folk at The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne, and I'm going to be your host as we chat all things Newcastle. We shall also push the boundaries of George's technological capabilities, which have already been stretched to translucency and discover whether Chris's bladder is able to hold out for 45 minutes of uninterrupted football chat. Uh, we are new to this, obviously, so please bear with us. And do remember that Chris is unable to open and close a toilet door on a train, so this could be quite difficult for everyone. But we want you, our athletic subscribers, to join in. On the app, you will see the option to request to speak to us. Click on that if you want to say something. And if you're not an athletic subscriber then it's listen only i'm afraid and if you miss any of it don't worry this uh, this will be a bonus edition of pod on the time you lucky sausages we're going to split the chat up into three sections if we can we're going to talk about the the three game wobble 
and how we're feeling about the potential uh, relegation battle. Uh, six months on from the takeover, how much uh, has really changed at St James's Park? And balls out, crystal balls that is. What happens in the next new mad brave world of Newcastle United? Right then, so before we crack on with that, Chris, George, are we okay? Is everything all right now? Have we settled down? I well, I need to meet myself because I'm, I'm very echoey because uh, I'm, I'm meant to not be on loudspeak, but I don't know how to change that. So uh, apologies. <laughs> so apologies. Chris, are you still recording from an LNER toilet by any chance? No, I was thankfully that out of that last Sunday. So I, I am free now. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> yes, well, it's 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 a brave new world, Taylor. It's a brave new world, and um, in true Newcastle United fashion, we are we are embracing it with constant defeat, basically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, if you How are, are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not too bad. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm. Uh, I'm I think this is going to give me PTSD. This the start of this particular live room, but we'll see how we get on. Eh? Let's get cracking. Then first up. Um, let's have a little chat about the team's current form. We are going to bring some people in soon. Uh, but Chris, how, how are you feeling ahead of the ahead of the Wolves game tomorrow night? Brilliant insight from Chris there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Sorry, I was thanks trying lot, to go to my headphones. Is that better? Can you hear me better that way? Yeah. Right. Um, so, what was your question? Sorry. <laughs> uh, how are you feeling ahead of the Wolves game, Chris? <laughs> I don't know what to expect tomorrow night, I have to be honest, because after Newcastle's last few results, and particularly the second half at Spurs, which was shambolic, the fact they haven't played at home for so long, it's just difficult to know what to expect. I mean, Wolves are coming, good team, obviously played well last weekend, in form, challenging for Europe, whereas Newcastle have just lost the way a little bit, and so... I do have a little bit of trepidation going into tomorrow. I think this is sort of, I'm apprehensive. I'm quite excited because I'd like to see what Newcastle can do at home and hopefully Bruno Gimresh is going to make us his full home debut. But I am also, there's a little bit of trepidation there because I also just don't, I just generally don't know what to expect. It's one of those, isn't it, with Wolves? I mean, they're, they're a decent team and they've got some good players, but at, at home, Newcastle could beat anyone potentially, but also they could be beaten by anybody, couldn't they? That's, that, that's the problem that we have. George, I mean, people are a little bit sort of uh, feeling a little bit, what should we say, nervy at the minute. Are people right to be uh, concerned, confused, alarmed? Uh, I think, I mean, I was born shitting myself, Taylor. I mean, that's that's factually correct because yes. um, that's what happens when you're a baby. But also that's life as a Newcastle United fan, I think. Um, it's been, you know, overall, if you look at um, if you look at this season, it's been a struggle from the start. Uh, I think this, you know, the, the good run that Newcastle were on was so good that um, I think it made us all start looking upwards a bit, which was nice. It was yeah. it was fun to do that, and the team played well. But you know, the reality is that it's been a tough season. It's been a struggle, and I think the last the last three matches, for varying reasons, for different reasons. Have kind of reminded us of it. I mean, if you look at if you take Spurs in isolation, it was awful. The second half was truly, truly awful. And you watch a yeah. you watch a forty five minutes like that, and you can't see or feel any redeeming features. So, do you judge the team on that, or do you judge them on the on the previous sort of two or three months? I mean, I think you know results of results have not been great. You know that that Burnley Everton. 
uh, result, although sort of, you know, it's certainly kind of thrown Everton even further into trouble, has kind of narrowed the gap a bit at the bottom. I think we have to take into consideration that it's been six games out of seven away from home. That's a really, really tough assignment for anybody. And there's now an opportunity, I think, with these three games for Newcastle to, you know, to to sort of pretty pretty much put the matter to bed. If they could get three or four points from these three matches, you know, I think that's a gap. That's the kind of gap that would be very, very difficult for other teams to claw back. It's not just the number of points Newcastle have, it's the number of teams below them. And I'm just going to, before I hand back to you, Taylor, I'm just going to say to people, please, uh, if you you want to have a chat, if you want to say something, particularly on this subject now, then request to speak and we will try to come to you in a few few secs. Absolutely, we're gonna we're gonna hand over to you lot in in just a moment, um, Chris. It's uh, Burnley got that win against uh, against Everton the other night, and that appears to have uh, caused everyone to start crapping their pants again. But uh, I don't think we're in we're in too much danger just yet, are we? It might take a little bit of uh, it might it might take a few more points, but I think there's still a chance we could we could uh, escape. Yeah, I still think that Newcastle will survive. I've thought for a while that they will survive. But until they actually get there, there's going to be this concern. And 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 obviously that shortened the gap a little bit. And suddenly Burnley and Everton and, and Leeds and then Newcastle, it's all Constantine a little bit. And that is a bit of a concern in the sense that you just want Newcastle to get the points as quickly as possible. I think Newcastle yeah. may already have just about enough, but they're not secure yet. And given the difficulty of some of the games coming up, if they weren't to, to get a positive result against Wolves tomorrow night, then I can understand why, why there is trepidation. I mean, I was speaking to my dad the other day and he's mm. he's a pessimist, he's a natural pessimist, and he, he's saying that sort of thing, that, that, that he just wants to see them win a game because he's, he's worried about where uh, the, the next points are going to come from after that. And obviously we've been so used to that for so long and it, it's it's wearing to, to be concerned all the time about where the victories are going to come from and how Newcastle are going to win football matches. But they've got themselves into a position none of, the, none of us expected them to be in by this stage. And although it's easy to say that and easy to draw on those positives, the fact that they're on 31 points, they're not too far away. Uh, but until they actually get over that line, it's only natural as supporters that we will have that little bit of a concern where you just want them to get to get finished. Absolutely. Over to you, George. Who do we have waiting for us to talk? Well, before I get to that, I just want to go through some of the feedback we're getting on the chat. Um, <laughs> recording, recording from all of your toilets. Tom says, can yep. barely hear Chris. Uh, Abdallah says the volumes are completely different. Uh, Benjamin, can't hear you at all, Chris. Richard, not at all better. <laughs> Uh, Chris B, this is gold with laughing emoji. Daryl, our friend Daryl, rolling over, laughing emoji. Um, this is great. From Aaron, laughing emoji. Um, Christopher B, Taylor has his mic uh, in his mouth. Um, anyway, so our audio contributions so far are going down great guns. Right, I'm now going to uh, turn to a few of you who've requested to speak. I'm going to start with... Andrew D. I'm hoping that Andrew is there and can hear us. I can. How are you, gentlemen? How's everybody today? Hello, Andrew. Aye, aye. I've got a couple of questions, really. One is when Eddie Howe mentioned that uh, Joe Willock has been carrying a knock for a couple of weeks, why nobody didn't jump in and say, well, you've had a fit uh, Sean Longstaff uh, in the midfield, why was he not um, put in as he keeps on telling them how good he is? And the second one is, 
should there not be a space made somehow for Paul Dummett? Well, Andrew, I was um, I was at the press conference today. Um, in terms of why no one jumped in, I mean, yeah, I I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think it means he's been carrying a minor knock. I think that happens. I think that happens in football. People play through those things. No one's ever, you know, 100% fit, fit all of the time. And Willock has been a very important part of the, you know, of the of the team of, in recent weeks. So I think that's kind of I think that's fair enough. Dummett, you know, Dummett, Dummett is one of those players. I love Paul Dummett. He's been a brilliant. He's been a brilliant servant to the club. The team, all you know, he he always becomes a much more important player when he's not in the team because you remember uh, you remember how good he is and how solid he is. But really, until the last two or three weeks, the defence have been have been doing well. So um, that's what I would say to that. I don't know if Chris has got anything he wants to add. In terms of Sean Longstaff, it is an interesting one. I mean, I've had a chat with a few people, sort of, um, certainly long-term sort of people with connections with the club and, and, and or sort of ex-professionals. And they talk about how when he speaks about players and he's always positive about every single player, which seems brilliant, but some of them are of the opinion that long-term, if Howe speaks that positively about certain players and then doesn't select them, then eventually such words will wear off. And we've obviously seen it with Dwight Gale. I mean, Dwight Gale I asked about last week and, and, and Howe was, was effusive in his praise of Dwight Gale, who he just has not basically picked. He's played seven minutes of normal time, I think, under Eddie Howe. And I suppose there's a similarity with Longstaff, and maybe Longstaff himself will feel frustrated by that. I I, I think that the, 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 the reason he wants to get Willock in the team is he offers something slightly differently than the midfielders. He's able to carry the ball... Um, and as much as I like Sean Longstaff, it's slightly it, you get a slightly different sort of he brings something slightly different to the midfield when he plays. And so Willock is the only one really who can drive forward with the ball. And I suppose on the size of the Spurs pitch, the ability to carry possession. And we saw that the first forty-five minutes to a degree against Spurs. I thought he was a, was a bit of a threat. But how went back to that tried and tested three-man midfield? Obviously, it didn't work in the end, and Joe Linton himself went off with, with fitness problems too. So it'll be interesting to see which changes he does make tomorrow. I'd be shocked if Bruno doesn't start, but whether Sean Longstaff comes in there as well, if, if, if someone like Joe Linton struggling with injury, we'll have to wait and see. As far as Paul Dummett goes, I, uh, I quite like Dummett. I think he's a, a really a really good pro, but there's, there's parts of his game which I think maybe don't suit the way that Eddie Howe wants to play. Um, he can look a bit rushed in possession and who would he replace if he came back into the team? I think, you know, Matt Target has been great up until very, very recently. Uh, I think uh, Dan Byrne, similarly, I think he's done a great job until very recently. He's had a couple of tricky games against some really difficult opponents. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure who Dummett would come in to replace. And as far as Sean Longstaff goes, um, I think he's he's a decent midfielder. Um, I'm not sure he offers the same sort of mobility and drive as what Joe Willock does, and he's he's got to be in the right position in that midfield, you know, because I don't he's not like a destructive player like uh, like Jalinton can be in there. Um, and have we would we then have three players who were too similar in in, in him and, and Shelby and, and Bruno all all trying to do similar sort of jobs? Uh, but yeah, I I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Longstaff started to get a bit sick soon if he's not getting a game. So, a couple of our listeners. Chris L says we need to stop being so nostalgic. Dummett is great for the squad, but surely isn't a starter for us anymore. Sam yeah. C says Dummett is too injury prone to be here next season. Um, Reese M, um, by contrast, says almost shitting myself on the bus every time Taylor speaks. Jesus, that's loud. That's someone just my else. Normal voice. 
Yes, and someone else said, Chris sounds a lot better now. Please, can he go back to how it was before? Very, very <laughs> harsh. Okay, I'm now going to bring in Daryl M. I think Daryl is our is our friend, a friend of the podcast. Are you there, Daryl? Hello. Hi, Daryl. How are you doing? Well, we're doing brilliantly, as well. you can tell. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing so far, hasn't it, Daryl? What a, what a piece of audio gold this is. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not listening to it on my bike, otherwise I think I'd have come off by now. Um, now, Daryl, Daryl, you, 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 can, you, can, you can possibly provide us a little bit of insight, can't you, into um, Chris's Locked in the Toilet episode from the weekend, can't you? Yes. Yes, I can, yes. Um, so... I was in the company of, of Chris on the, on the train down, and um, yeah. I think it was before we got to Peterborough. And he, he disappeared for a bit, and I thought, oh, he's just taking his time, you know. Um, and then I, I see uh, John Anderson, whose company we were also in, um, from BBC Newcastle, and he, he takes a phone call, and it turns out it's from Chris. So he tells us, oh, he's stuck in the toilet, um, so anyway, I looked at I looked at my phone and, and realised that I had a missed call. Um, so luckily we were sat next to the kitchen, so I popped in and, and had a word with one of my colleagues and got a hold of one of his carriage keys. It's a bit of equipment that we all get issued when you work on the railway. It allows you to perform certain actions, including in this instance, unlocking the toilet for poor Chris who was stuck inside. <laughs> um, so I honestly do not know what he's done to to get himself stuck and. To, to blame the technology in the way he did, I'm, I'm not sure that it's entirely the technology's fault. I think it's definitely something... <laughs> Daryl, can I just interrupt you slightly? I'm just wondering, do you actually have a football point to make? Because if you don't, I'm really happy. <laughs> well, I see embarrassing episode over with, but it's still going and we're still milking it for all it's worth. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that after almost making the entire um, athletic <laughs> app and website explode this afternoon. But anyway, um, any thoughts Any thoughts on the on the team's position at the minute? Um, yeah, I've seen a few comments in the chat there, and I tend to agree that if we can get four points from the next three, um, I'd be relatively comfortable with, with how we're going to go for the rest of the season. I think we'll stay up. Um, I don't want to include the, the next four games, which includes Norwich away, because that could really swing either way, because we're a little bit inconsistent at the minute. You know, we, we have lost three in a row. And as much as Norwich are a team that are below us in the table, our recent history at Norwich hasn't been great. We tend to come unstuck when we play them down there at Carrow Road. Um, I was privy and I was there when we got beat um, 3-2, when we got relegated. Um, I had some That was interest a bad, in, bad day. I, I nearly killed over twice in the stands when Mitrovic scored his two goals. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but I think it was just the sheer ecstasy and the, the relief that he'd scored. My legs went both times as goals went in. And then to, to, to crucially lose it in injury time was an absolute killer. Um, and I think it probably sealed my fate back then. But jumping back to present day, um, I think, like I say, four, four points from these next three home games. How and why or where we'll get them within those three games, I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, if we can start with three points tomorrow, which is no easy task, that would go a huge way um, to achieving that goal. Um Norwich, like I say, it's it's an interesting situation. If we can get three points there, then even better again. But I, I, I certainly think that if we can get ourselves those points, and that you know, there's a lot of clamour about the teams that are below us in the table picking up points and whatnot. You look at your uh, Burnley's and Everton's after the game last night. 
when you look at their overall performance in the season, you know, Everton haven't, you know, they've only won three and 20 odd games and Burnley have only won three games all season. So you're really expecting them to turn it round and, and win four of the next five or whatever to try and catch yeah. it. It's, it's, I don't think it's possible. Um, I was looking at, like, um, I, I was looking at Everton's running earlier on oh, today. It's great, isn't it? Honestly, it's, it's terrifying. If you were an Everton fan, you'd be looking at that and thinking, oh, we are really knee deep in the shit here. It, it could, it could go horribly wrong for them. Um, I don't see them picking up too many more points, to be honest. No, I have. Uh, I've said goodbye to Daryl. Um, thank you very much indeed for your contribution. And I've brought in. Just thought we'd go straight to Carl. Try and rattle through a few, uh, uh, a few yeah. people. How are you doing, Carl? Are you there? I'm here. Yes. How are you, gents? Hello, Carl. Very good? good. Hi, Carl. Good, good. Um, I just wanted to make a point. I felt. Um, I don't know if you guys felt the same, but if you look at the second half against Spurs you looked how they just went through the centre of our midfield, like with real pace. And you looked at like someone like Shelby, who was trying to run back. He, he just, his legs were all over the place. He's just got no, no pace. So when you were talking about Willock before, that's probably one of the things that he does have. Um, but that's why I think it's vital for Bruno to start tomorrow, um, that he has got that injection of pace in the midfield, as well as obviously doing the dirty stuff. I just wanted to see if you guys had felt the same. The fact that we were all over the place in midfield, and and um, I think it was three of the four goals that they scored in the second half, they just basically waltzed through. I totally agree. Yes, I was in the away yeah. end. Chris, I'm sure had had uh, kind of a better view in the press box, but no, I uh, I totally agree uh, with that, Carl. It was sort of embarrassing at times. Um, and it was almost as if that midfield wasn't there. Having said that, that midfield, uh, you know, it was a, has been a massive, massive part of that good run that the team was on, and it would have been very harsh to change it during the during the middle of that run. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was the Shelby that we've seen in the past who was uh, who seemed slow and pedestrian and was caught in possession and gave the ball away. Plenty of other people gave the ball away. No, and. And you know, just that, just that energy wasn't there. I mean, I was, I didn't enjoy watching them. But you know, a player like Son, who is so direct, just yeah. just went straight, just went straight through them. I I totally agree. I think Bruno Bruno starts tomorrow. I think he has to, and um, it'll be interest, interesting to see who he who he replaces. Chris, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I'd go a bit further than just the midfield. I, I thought the midfield struggled, but equally, I think that there was just there were gaps all over the pitch, and that the midfield weren't then able to cover them. But neither were the defence. And I think we've seen there were sort of a few warning signs in the previous matches about maybe that Newcastle could get the, the centre backs if they get dragged out wide, then they were susceptible to balls sort of diagonal balls over the top. And we saw that a few times, both with Burn and Share. During the second half, I thought Target wasn't quite as good as he has been recently. Hopefully, it was just a forty-five minute aberration because they were, they were awful during that second half, and they were everything and they haven't been in recent weeks. I do expect to see changes. I see someone in the chat asked whether um, Emil Kraft will come in the team. I think there's a decent chance that he will. I think how, well, Heavy Minkio got hooked, and you could see that Howe wasn't particularly happy with him. Certainly for that second goal, so I wouldn't be surprised if he came in the team. I think that we will see changes in midfield, whether they're both injury-enforced, illness-enforced, uh, or basically how it decides to make those changes. I think that we will see at least two, three, possibly even four changes to the side tomorrow night, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond from that. I don't think we'll see a massive change of system because Howe believes in that system, and hopefully it was just the wrong system for last week. But 
I, I do think there will be some personnel changes. And we now have T.O. I can't, I don't know what you name it. I, I, your name can't be two, surely. T.O.? You there, T.O.? I won't tell you the full name. There's many syllables in there, so let's... I'm not oh, gonna... okay, fair enough. <laughs> T.O. Hope you're all How well. How are you doing? I'm very well, very well. I'm a Newcastle fan from London, but still connected. You know, um, I'm actually going to be at the game tomorrow with my missus. Nice in, the, in the chairman's box, but I'm not showing off. I promise. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. But what I wanted to say actually was that um, I think Eddie Howe and his team have done a fantastic job with the team um, in the way they've uh, rejuvenated a team that looked like was destined for relegation. I've always believed, but no one else did. It looked like we're definitely going to get relegated. They've done a great job. And I think the last three games, the two two of those games, we could have drawn and then it would have been a different story. Um, I think the Chelsea game, the obviously the referee um, not giving the penalty and then the last-minute goal that happened, all of those factors, the same with the Everton game, can't be ignored. Um, going forward, I do feel like the team will win tomorrow. The Tottenham game, everyone's allowed to have an off day. Like, the premiership is very difficult now. Anyone can beat anyone. It's very obvious, like, no matter who you are, even Liverpool and Man City, it looks like anyone can beat anyone. So I just think, in terms of the fans, we need to hold our nerves, support the team, and it will all be okay on the night. You know, we just have to hang in there. So in yeah, the chairman, in in the chairman's in the chairman's box with your missus. Thank you very much, Mirda Gadusi, for joining us uh, tonight. <laughs> Good. Well, that was a that was a that that was a that was a very optimistic take, and I uh, I'm down for that. And yeah, of course. I mean, you've got to look at the job that um, got to look at the job that uh, Eddie Howe's done since he arrived. It's been uh, you know, if you talk to people around the the training ground and the dressing room, um, it's been, there's been a huge effect, huge effect around there. And uh, yeah, just really just got to get over the line, haven't they? And uh, Things will things will look a lot more positive moving forward, I'm sure. Absolutely. Right, good stuff. Um, just a reminder that you're listening to a live room edition of Pod on the Time. And if you missed any of the inane ramblings and nonsense so far, you should be able to find it at your usual podcast providers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, uh, topic number two. This week marks six months since that fateful moment in October uh, when Mike actually finally took his leave of St. James's Park. And as coincidence would have it, Wolves away was the last game of the old regime and Wolves at home 
brings us up to this little anniversary. So, Chris, um, let's rewind for a second. Just how bad was the position that the team was in uh, and the club was in six months ago? Well, I mean, George was actually at the at that game, so he can chat a little bit more about the sort of feeling at that match. I was on my brother's stag do in York, and I texted George after full time and asked him how it was, to which he just replied with, F off, you know how it was, um, <laughs> which I think summed up. We were in this sort of, at that point, it was, I mean, the cycle of Mike Ashley had gone on for a heck of a long time. But if I look at it for me, journalistically, trying to cover the club, we were in a cycle of just writing the same things on almost like a month loop about Steve Bruce, about Mike Ashley, about the club in general, about the lack of ambition, the lack of direction, the stagnation. And nobody, no fans were interested in reading wider bits about the club or about individual players or about set pieces or anything like that, because it was, it was becoming borderline apathy. It was, there was certainly anger, but there was borderline apathy in terms of what was the point? This is just what we're going through over and over again. And that transformation in just a space of a few days, I mean, I've told the story several times, but on the Wednesday, the day before the takeover was actually completed, but the day that, that we thought it was going to be that morning, I had been on the phone to a, to a, a French coach uh, who'd coached Alan Saint Maxim when I was younger. And I was doing a piece about Alan Saint Maximan and basically trying to, to to write another piece about the one positive, really, that was at Newcastle United at the time. And George kept ringing me and I kept hanging up on him. And he's like, You have to answer your phone because we just, we, we'd heard so many times that the takeover might happen at certain points and it just, just was dragging on and we'd all roll our eyes and think, oh, it's not going to happen. But that was the point where, yes, this is real. This is happening. And so the transfer, to think back six months, it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but equally it feels like a heck of a long time ago because so much has happened at that time. And yeah, that that was a whirlwind of, of a week. And and, and certainly the, the, the transformation in terms of everything to do with the club, my job covering the club, speaking to fans, um, be that feeling inside the stadium, it just feels completely transformed from where we were six months ago after that Wolves game. It was a whirlwind time, like Chris says, and everything went sort of upside down within the space of a couple of days. What, how much actually has changed in the intervening months since then? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a note in the chat here from Daniel H. He says, I remember that Wolves game. Our last goal in the Ashley era was Jeff Hendrick against a concussed Wolves keeper, which seems poetic. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, effectively everything has changed and also in in other ways very little has changed. I mean, I suppose if you look at the league position, there's been a there's been a big, big turnaround, albeit one that leaves Newcastle, whatever they are, fifteenth in the table. It's not exactly the stuff of revolution. There's a new head coach. Um Steve Bruce has gone. We're still waiting for Dan Ashworth, obviously, to be uh, to be appointed as yeah. sporting director. We're still waiting for a CEO to be appointed, although uh, interviews have happened for that. We're still sort of waiting um, for a lot of those kind of people to be brought in around the club. They're still taking their time over that and over those impo- appointments. You know, we want to see the training ground get rebuilt and done. We want to see the academy the same. The same there. It's yeah. it's been. It's been little low-hanging fruit, really, hasn't it? It's been sort of tidying up the stadium. There's been the the things like renaming Alan Shearer's bar. There's been moves to bring his statue back online. But let's face it, the mood of the entire club has changed. It's a different football club now. And for better or for worse, you know, these are the owners that we have and they have a completely different vision for 
for what they want to do at St James's Park, and it's it's an ambas- ambitious, outward thinking football club again that wants to yeah. connect and reconnect to its supporters, that wants to challenge, that wants to improve. And obviously, we saw a big sign of change in the January window when when instead of uh, you know if, if you think about it as a window, instead of Newcastle being pressed up against it, uh, looking at all the goodies inside, they were actually they actually involved. They were actually. Um, you know they were they were they were the biggest spenders in Europe. I think it was, and brought in players who, the, the, the like of which the the club have been crying out for. Someone like Kieran Trippier, yeah. an absolute you know marquee signing in terms of what he represents, and then Bruno Guimaraes, who sort of represents we hope the future of the club. So yeah, there's there's a huge amount still to be done. A, you know, a massive massive amount still to be done. Uh, the biggest part of it. Is on the pitch, but it's um, it's a it's a completely different club, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and and, and I was talking about how it how it felt for so long, like the different elements of the club, the support, the ownership, the management, the coaching staff, that we were often at loggerheads with each other. We were often fighting, and and we were against Mike Ashley, and the, the manager was sometimes battling against Mike Ashley to get money in order to improve the team. And it just felt like a completely disjointed club that was pulling in three different directions, you know. Um, but it, I, the, the point that I was making to this guy I was talking to was that it, it feels incredible to actually have a club that, that is all on the same page, uh, where you have a, a, an owner who, who wants, you know, to invest in the squad. You have a coach who is has a good relationship with the owner. You have fans who now appreciate what the, the coach is doing and, and like the way he works and now... Uh, appreciate how the owners work as well and, and, and it just feels like it's sort of a lot more joined up than it used to be you know um, I, it's, I, exactly, it's, it's exactly that Taylor it's like it's Wolves Wolves at home tomorrow night and it's going to be an absolutely brilliant atmosphere we know that oh, in spite yeah. of the last in spite of the last two or three results and yeah you can't you can't repeat it often enough everybody in that stadium wanting the same thing is yep. such is such a lovely experience to to sort of be part of again the noise everybody you know willing the team to win everybody wanting that you know there's no cliques there's no difference of opinion it's just uh it's just really good um right i'm going to try and bring in a couple of people don't forget we want to hear from you too so please um please request to speak and we will uh we'll do that i'm going to bring in daniel d now are you there daniel no, Daniel has disappeared. I will try Chris F. Are you there, Chris? I am. Hi, gents. Hi, Hello, Chris. Chris. Hi, Chris. I, I, I was just uh, wanting to talk about our potential transfer budget um, for the summer. I know some messaging has been sent out around us having around maybe 50 million plus anything we've raised through sales. But I, I wonder whether Murdad and Amanda, Amanda are being a little bit canny there that they might look to set expectations low but possibly blow them out the water what do you think i'll jump in on that one chris um because i wrote a sort of piece looking at what they might do this summer and and had various conversations with people and I, i think i think you're right i think there is probably an element of kidology to an extent that that newcastle as they have done as they did throughout january as they haven't with the situation with dan ashworth at the minute that they don't want to set a precedent by paying over the odds and they want to make it clear they're not going to. So there is there is that element to a certain degree and they want to lower expectations both in the market and, and externally. But equally, 
the message is, is clear. And it was, to be fair, before the takeover was happening throughout, there was always this idea that had a long-term plan. It was about organic growth. That they would invest, but it would be over time. And that is very much the message now. They ended up spending more in January than they intended to. And that was due to a lot of circumstances, primarily because they were in such a difficult position when it came to potential relegation and the need to really bring forward some investment, the likes of, of Bruno Gimresh. I think ideally probably would have been more of a summer signing, but they, they felt the need to do that. And they also signed players who were slightly older than the profile that maybe they like going forward. That A lot of the players are signed in January don't have that much sell-on value given their age. Uh, whereas this summer, I think that we will see probably a similar sort of level of investment, maybe somewhere between 50 and 100 million. That is a ballpark figure at the moment. We're still waiting to see exactly how much it'll be. And then they will have to augment it by selling players. And and they need to do that, A, because they have too many players on the books as it is. They've, they've got players out on loan, plus they have left three out of the squads. So they've got 28 senior players there, plus the ones out on loan. They need to they need to make room in the wage budget. They also need to get those players just out, out with the building, really, to then make room in the squad. And then I think that you will see a younger profile of player brought in. Uh, but ideally, they want to really strengthen the attacking positions. I don't think you're going to see complete overhaul of the squad. I think you're going to see somewhere between three and five, maybe six additions this summer, depending on how many they can get out. So that how can, can evolve the team rather than have this sort of... The message seems to be evolution rather than revolution at the moment. And so I, I think there is a little bit of kidology, but equally I do think they do have FFP considerations in the long term, which they want to bear in mind so that they don't get stung by that. And I think just, just, just to jump in very, very quickly there, you know, the example of Everton is one that is there, is writ large, you know, for everybody at the minute. They've spent an absolutely phenomenal amount of money in the past few years after a takeover and it's been disastrous it hasn't worked at all there's no philosophy there you know there's no there's been no con continuity between managers there's been no sense of what they're trying to do what they're aiming for and that is something that they're desperate to avoid and it was presented from day one that this you know this 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 is a sensible investment it's not a it's not replicating what Man City did at the start or Chelsea did at the start. And they can't do that anyway, as things stand, because of FFP. And so you, what you don't want to do is, to use that phrase uh, Chris used, blow everybody out of the water, because th then you're left with no room for manoeuvre. The original plan was to probably spend something like 50, 60 million quid in, in January. Um, and that changed because of the circumstances that the team are in. Now, that's good because that means that they can be pragmatic and react to the, re the reality of the situation. And I think ideally, yeah, as Chris said, they would probably like to spend a little bit less. They want to grow. The, the way they want to grow the club, I think, is by having really, really shit-hot people in the important positions taking good decisions in a collective way, in a way that makes sense for the whole football club. They're sort of uh, banking on being better than everybody else. And now that's going to take some doing because if you look at, you know, if you look at Liverpool or you look at Man City or whoever, they're really, really very, very well run as well as being excellent football football teams. So I think that's the way they want to do it. It's about being smarter now, that, and which is why they're also fairly relaxed about... Uh, taking their time with these big big appointments because they're not viewing it as it being all about January or all about the summer. It's about the next two, three, four, five years moving forward. So I don't think that's the way they they want to operate unless they really have to.
I'll be honest with you, George, I was quite surprised at some of the signings that we made in January. I, I didn't think for the world that we'd be able to sign somebody like Kieran Trippier or or Bruno Gimaraes. You know, I, I, th- I thought they were fantastic signings. And for them to come to, to Newcastle when the club was in the position it was, it just shows that there is a pull here, there is a draw, and we will be able to draw players to the club. Um, you know, the, I think the Trippier signing, I'm absolutely devastated that he, that he broke his foot and that he's not been able to play because I think that's one of the best could have been one of the best signings the club's made in the last 20 years. I, I think it was an amazing piece of business for the price he was as well. And he's a top, top player. I can't wait to get it back. Yeah, I'm going to read out a few messages from our chat. Um, Adam says, give Murdad the credit card and all will be sound. <laughs> Fair enough. Eb F says, it's about bringing the right players, not how much they cost, which of course is true. Christopher B says, I'd sell Wood, to be honest. He won't play much, will be worth nothing after next season. Send him back to Burnley for £10 million. Darren G says, need a top-rate striker as top target. Now, I think I have managed to bring in Daniel D this time. Are you there, Daniel? Yes, I am here. Hello, Daniel. Yeah, um, sort of touching on a couple of different topics here. One, uh, probably the biggest one, is formation. Um, we all, I think, everyone knows that Eddie Ho's preferred formation is a four-four-two, and I think he's going to move to that at some stage. Um, I think it will. I know that Chris said he doesn't think it's going to happen soon. I think it could happen sooner rather than later. Um, I reckon you could see um, some Axman moving into a forward position, like playing alongside Water Wilson when he comes back, moving Fraser out to the the left wing, and then either Mankio being pushed into a right mid or um, Murphy in a right mid position. I think is probably something that will be looked at. Um, but on this point, then for next season. Um, do you think that the signings that they will make will be with the view of playing a four-four-two, or do you think that they'll keep it sort of the same now with playing that four-four-three, four-three-three formation? Hi, Daniel. I'll jump in here because George doesn't understand tactics, and so I'll I'll, I'll bail him out from from that one. I mean, I'll pretend <laughs> that I do when I don't really either. And Eddie Howard oh, listening to me talking about. It. Um, but in terms of the four, the the four-four-two, it's it's an interesting point how sort of made reference to this a few weeks ago when he sort of said, when I came in, everyone thought that I'd play 4 because that's what I did at Bournemouth. Um, but I don't have the players necessarily to do that. I, I, he based, And also, it's interesting, you speak to people uh, who know how well and also how himself chats about it, that during his time off, he looked back at what he calls, he's got like a philosophy document. This is like this living document he has, which is sort of like his football philosophy document. And he sort of updated it. And I think he's become a little bit more pragmatic during his time off. So I think he sees, and certainly in the short term, he realised that was what Newcastle needed to get them through the rest of this season. And that three-man midfield, particularly Joe Linton, given them so much defensively, he sees as being the key to that sort of nine-game unbeaten run. And so I think he'd be reluctant to change it too soon. In terms of what he'll do in the summer, whether that's to move to 4-4-2 longer term, I generally don't know the answer to that question at this stage. They're still in the sort of formative stages of looking at what they're going to do this summer. I know sort of positions, but not necessarily uh, exactly the personnel they're going to look for and the way that he wants to change the team longer term. But he does want to make them better on the ball. He does want to make them more progressive, whether that's with a three-man midfield or whether it switches to 4-4-2. 
time will tell. But I think that he likes the balance at the moment that he sees that he gets, certainly defensively, from a 4-3-3. So I, I think he'd be reluctant to change that in the short term. But equally, he could well surprise us and change that tomorrow night. Indeed. Should we, should we move on, Taylor? We lost Taylor. Well, well Taylor's moved on. Taylor, Taylor's moved on to such an extent that he's just uh, he's just left. Fair enough. All right. Well, tell you what, I'll bring in. Um, I'm going to bring in one more on this subject. Sam W, are you there? Hi, lads. Hi, Sam. You're right. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I was interested to hear about. I was watching Sky, and I saw obviously David Shinola was on, um, who we all love. I know, but. I was really interested on his, or kind of baffled by his take on the team and that he was under the impression that the team needed to com- be completely changed despite the great form that we've been on up until the last three games. And also kind of a follow-up question. I saw he was with uh, Merdad and Stabley maybe the day after the Spurs match. And I don't know if you know anything about that. I know they're trying to get back in touch with some of the the greats of the the club, like obviously uh, Shira and and the likes, but uh, yeah, I wonder if you know any more about uh, Ginola's uh, meeting with them. Well, I can answer that and say that I mean I know that he's been pressing to do that for a long time, um, and you know I think I think in an in an ideal world for him, he would like to be a sporting director some somewhere or have that kind of role with the club. So I'm sure you know perhaps he was even talking about that. I don't think that's uh, a realistic option and obviously that process has already uh, has already sort of taken place has already taken place anyway Sam um but having said that I'm sure he's got lots of good ideas about uh Newcastle in terms of the club it, it, it could be and certainly I mean it's brilliant to to see that the club have, have under the new owners have reached out to um have reached out to former players I mean that's an important part of 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 what's happening um, around St. James's Park now about that kind of reconnection. I mean, not just because of sentimental reasons, because those players know what it's like to, to succeed or possibly even fail at St. James's Park. And their, um, you know, that history is, in, is important. It's important that they listen. One of the things that uh, Amanda Stavely and Medad Caduce have been brilliant at is, but is at canvassing opinion, if you go and speak to them about anything, they'll ask your opinion about what's happening with the team and what's happened over recent times. And you know that's flattering and it's nice, but it's also important. They're not just—they haven't just arrived wanting to impose their own ideas straight away. They wanted to take the temperature. That's why that uh, word, which has already kind of got a loaded meaning at the minute, process. Um, is so important to them. They want to do things properly so that by the time they get to a decision, they know that they've gone down all routes and avenues and exhausted all the arguments before they before they do so. Are you back with us, Taylor? I think Taylor may have gone. I think it may just be us, or us as a duo now. Is it? All right. Control, which is dangerous, but... All right, well, fine. Okay, well, look, let's... Um, Let's excuse Taylor the rest of this. We'll move on to we'll move on to to 
part three. So uh, just to repeat once again, if you're listening, if you're just uh, tuning in now, sorry we're a bit delayed. This is the Good Ship Newcastle Live Room brought to you by The Athletic and Put on the Tyne. I want to say the Good Ship Newcastle Live. It felt a bit like the Titanic at the start, but um, hopefully we're sailing into uh, clearer water now. This will be available as a standalone podcast at a later date. Um, that was certainly the idea before we started. Whether that's still the case, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but now it's time for part of the third, which is about what comes next at Newcastle United. And it's a big question, but it now feels like a big club, or it wants to be a big club again. And there are certain, certainly big ambitions. So we'd like to hear from you again very shortly. So if you do have any points you want to make, please ask to speak and we'll come to you uh, in a little while. Obviously, I did interview Amanda Stavely and Modad Gadusi not too long ago, and I was I was thinking about trying to answer a question about sort of immediate priorities. What happens next if and when Newcastle stay up, which we all hope and think that they will do? And I couldn't really, I couldn't really give one because when I met them, I mean, they both had a few days off. Um, they'd been holiday. They'd been on holiday, but they were both knackered. They they got to the end of January barely sleeping and it felt like I think to them it felt like they were working sort of 24-7 and they just constantly repeated about how much they needed to do and how much there was still to be done and you have to remember that this is a club that under the Ashley era was stripped back to uh, to its bones that it was outsourced that uh, barely had a commercial and marketing uh, department to call its own and that there are so many positions that need to be restocked. And effectively, they were operating as, well, I think they described themselves later as um, interim CEOs. But during, during the transfer window, they were also doing those deals, as was Eddie Howe, intrinsically part of it. Um, I guess the immediate priority is remains with the team. But having said that, um, they need to get an executive group up and running to take the day-to-day decisions. And there's so much, you know, there's so much to do. They need to then look at the training ground. They'll be improving that over the summer and they need to get the academy talking to the first team, talking to the other elements of the team. It's just such a difficult question to answer, but they're in it for the long haul. That was something that they uh, repeated to me that as far as they're concerned, they're going nowhere. And that even when an executive uh, chief executive comes in, that they'll still be, still be there for, for the duration. Chris, I did want to ask you a question. Um, In fact, I want you to get your crystal bollocks out, if you don't mind. Um, What do you think Newcastle could or should look like 12 months from now? 12 months from now, right. So... where that, that You're basically asking me where do I think they should be aiming for next season and what should shape the team be in. Well, I, I, I think that given what we talked about earlier in terms of that we don't expect it to be absolutely lavish, hundreds of millions of pounds spent this summer, organic sort of growth, improving the first team. What I'd like to see first and foremost is a club that is not in a, in a season-long battle against relegation. I'd like to see a comfortable position. I don't think that is 
unattainable by any stretch of the imagination. I think with three or four quality additions, some good coaching, more time under Howe's watch that Newcastle could and should be in that position. Top 10, I don't think is beyond the realms of possibility. I think to get into that sort of branch of teams, the likes of Wolves, who Newcastle are playing tomorrow night, to get into that sort of realm of, of, of the table, I don't think that is... Uh, unachievable within 12 to 18 months. So I'd like to see Newcastle in that position. And then once they've stabilised and once they're in a sort of mid-table position, be able to grow from there. Because I think it's the next step that is difficult to then get into to breaking into where a team like Spurs is. The amount of money that Spurs have spent over a long period of time, the infrastructure they have, that's going to take Newcastle a lot more time. And then to even think about getting towards the very top two in the Premier League, that is very much long-term and is going to take uh, a lot of money, a lot of time, and also a lot of luck, really, to get into that sort of position. So really, in 12 months' time, I'd like to see Newcastle top half of the table, having comfortably been there all season, um, a proper having signed some good players who've really improved the first 11, and then with an eye on the, on the next summer and thinking about how they can then keep making progress going forward. The, the likes of the training ground, the likes of, of, of what they're going to do in terms of can they improve the stadium, I'd like to, to think that in 12 months' time, those conversations will re- reach a bit more of a formative stage. Dan Ashworth should be in position by then. A CEO should be there. There should be a full structure in place for Newcastle and it should be running as a smooth ship and really thinking about going forward. So ideally, that's what I'd like to see on the pitch, top 10. Uh, off the field, having a structure in place and really having that actual grand plan of this is where they're going to be in three or five years' time. Indeed, indeed. And don't forget, if you would like to uh, get something off your chest, if you'd like to say something about this subject of Newcastle moving forward, what they might look like, uh, the future, please uh, please request to speak and we'll we'll come to you before we wrap up. Uh, on those sort of subjects, Ryan B says, success next season is top 10 and... Uh, Cup run for me, that's fair enough. Eb F um, also says success next season for me is 8th to 10th. Anything better is a bonus. Um, Joe M says, would love to see us introduce ambassadors to spread the gospel of NUFC worldwide. Well, Joe, that is uh, something that they've done. They have spoken to people, uh, you know, you the, the, the suspects that you would imagine, those conversations have taken place. It's not a huge priority. It's definitely something that they want to do and that they're looking at. It's about getting the right people for the right price at the right time. And uh, yeah, they do have some pretty important um positions to fill christopher b says taylor buggered off yes he really did uh paul m says hi hi paul andrew c says george what's going on with sponsors i thought they were all lined up and ready surely a bumper deal will help fund transfers in the summer and with ffp well yes but we've also seen that um well first thing is to say that amanda Staveley said when i interviewed her that yes they'd had lots of conversations with sponsors uh, there were lots of people interested, um, not necessarily Saudi uh, companies that they want to do the right deals, but they are, you know, the, the club does already have relationships which it's tied into. And if they try to get out of those deals, that would cost the club money and then that would have an effect on FPP, FFP. So there are a lot of those conversations um, still going on. Peter D says, I wonder if they'd ever extend the brand to other sports by the Falcons, Eagles, etc. Interesting. Um, I've not heard that. Joe M, are there any plans for a new shirt? Manufacturer Castore have been poor. We've not 
we've heard rumors the same rumors as you joe but um no we don't uh, as far as we we're aware uh, the relationship with castor is uh, is a solid one um okay i'm going to bring in michael s hello lad i'm thinking in 12 months time where i'd like to see the club is pushing forward some nice growth i don't want us to get into europe too quickly because i don't think we've got the squad the back end and the depth to last in there, but it'd be really bloody nice to go to Wembley, even just for a semi-final, something like that. It would be nice to, to for Newcastle to be in a position where they're not getting to January and it almost thinking, oh, can we afford to change the 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 eleven here? Do we need to do we need to rest players in the FA Cup? As so many managers over the years have made the decision to do so, to be able to to think right, Newcastle are solid in the Premier League at the turn of the year. They've already had a decent go at the, the League Cup. They may have got the last stage of that and then actually be able to prioritise the FA Cup. That is, ideally, I agree, what, what would be nice. And to, to get Newcastle getting further into those domestic cup competitions, giving fans uh, that joy again, because the, for so long, cup competitions have become arduous and they've become that. So you just expect Newcastle to go out early or you expect them to, as soon as they face a decent team, that they're going to put out reserve side and get beaten. So to have that change in mindset towards cup competitions, I agree. I think that will be a huge step forward. I had to turn off Michael's mic there because unfortunately it was feedbacking horribly into my ears and I think into our listeners but thanks for Michael I'm gonna bring in Olud Malad now I don't know if I've got that um name right but are you there um yes can you hear me can hear you loud and clear um yes I one thing that uh I wanted to talk about is the fact that we've all talked about the fact that Newcastle has to spend 50 million um, but we don't talk about what the other teams are going to spend. They need to spend less than we do for us to catch up with them. Um, how do you think the whole prim- the whole Premiership is going to look next season? And how much do you think we really need to be able to catch up with teams above us? Um, like, long story short, do we need to actually spend more than the fifty million to be able to catch up to the top ten that we are really aiming for? That's my question. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. I mean, one thing that's not happened at Newcastle over the years is that they've not team built. I mean, <laughs> certainly not over the last two or three seasons since promotion. I would argue. I think they had a chance to do that when Benitez was there. I don't want to open old uh, old wounds. I think they had a chance to do that, but far too often the spending happened at either the wrong time when they were chasing bad decisions, when they felt like they had to correct. Uh, the team in terms of them being near the bottom of the table, there's never really been that sense of team building. Now, I think in in January, one of the things that was pleasing was that they went out and did what the team needed. Now, you might argue that not all of those players would have been your first choice or my first choice, but they needed a striker. They needed a backup striker. They went out and they paid Chris Wood's release clause from Burnley, and they and they got him. They got additions where they needed it needed them in defence. That was really really important. Now that's the thing that I'm quite excited by and encouraged by. I think there will be. I mean, it's difficult to give us to to, to you know to give you a, a definitive figure about how much that would take. But I'm excited about the idea of them sticking with a manager that they have faith in, that they can work closely with, who has. 
ideas about where he wants the team to get better. And then him backing that judgment, that collective judgment that they'll all make as a group and improving. Now, they, you know, we mentioned earlier about Ginola saying they needed to start from uh, scratch. Well, they're not going to do that. Um, it, it is about evolution, as Chris said. That's the way they're going to do it. And hopefully some of the players that they already have can grow. Now, that growth might only take them for another year at Newcastle, all, thing, all things being equal. It was interesting that Wood uh, and Trippier, for example, and Dan Byrne only signed relatively short-term contracts of two and a half years, whereas Newcastle in the past have thrown five, six-year contracts at players. Sometimes that's worked as a philosophy. Plenty of, time, plenty of times it hasn't. Um, they need the team to grow. Now, if they go out in the summer and buy a striker, which I think they really need, then the team improves. And that's that's the thing that's important to me. I know it's in some ways it's a statement of the obvious, but it's just not what the team have done in the last uh, you know, two or three and probably lots more years than that. Chris, what would you say? I'd agree with you. And in terms of the, where's 50 million enough? It's not enough to, if you want to suddenly start challenging in the sort of upper echelons of the Premier League, you will need hundreds of millions of pounds to do that, or certainly a lot of investment over a long period of time. But I think astute investment, I think improving players, as you say, squad building, actually identifying weaknesses and growing from that, identifying which players can work together. I think if you can have that sort of cohesion and that... Uh, collective effort of every layer of the club working together for to, to to build toward that vision. That's important. I think it's a shame in that sense that Dan Ashworth is not necessarily going to be there in the short term to do that. Eddie Howe was almost a, a de facto sort of director of football to an extent in January. It looks like he's going to be again this summer. That's positive in the sense that he can get players that he wants and he will fit his system. But equally, to, to not have that full joined up thinking immediately this summer, I think is a slight setback, even if the club are well prepared to be able to handle that without him. But yes, I, I do like the idea of a club that, that the money Newcastle do have, they're going to think smartly about how they use it. I hope that that's going to be the case going forward. I hope that they're going to keep this this thought of this is the player, this is why we need this sort of player, this is, this is where they fit into the team, into the squad the right characters as they're looking for as well. So that, that does excite me. And the idea of seeing the players, some players who are there now grow with them. I also like that idea rather than just completely shipping out the entire squad and sort of starting again. Cool, cool, cool. Well done, Chris. Um, and our final request for uh, for a chat is Andrew G. Are you there, please, Andrew? Hi there. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Fantastic. I'm over in Toronto just now. So I thought I would just ask, so what position in the in the team do you think needs strengthening the most of of the team in the summer? What what should Newcastle be focusing on, and and what is a re- realistic signing for that position? Well, tell you what, why don't you give us your opinion first? Um, see, well, I think with Wilson injured all the time and Wood not banging him in, I think we need to be looking at a striker first, most first and foremost, rather. Um, so I would. I would love to see someone like Munez come in or Shtick from uh, from the Bundesliga, but yeah, I'd, I've uh, other than maybe those two names, I've not really considered too many other options uh, up front. That's an interesting point, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed for joining us all the way from Toronto. That's amazing. 
uh, firstly. I mean, I, I bigger bigger picture, I totally agree. I think it's up front that Newcastle desperately uh, need reinforcements. I love Callum Wilson as a footballer. He he brings so much quality to the team when he plays, but where is he at the minute? He's not playing, and unfortunately, that's been uh, a hallmark of his career over recent seasons. I'm sure he wouldn't be thrilled with that uh, that thought, that description. But you know, relying on a footballer isn't just about relying on him when he's on the pitch. It's also about him being able to get on the pitch in the first place. That's why I would be relatively uh, defensive of Chris Wood in the sense that at least he's been on the pitch since he's uh, joined from Burnley. Now, nobody comes out of uh, the second half of uh, the Spurs game with any credit, and he certainly doesn't, in my opinion. But he was also part of the team um, that did go nine games unbeaten. That was It's very important to remember that. He's come in and done a, done a job. He's offered a different kind of threat. That threat hasn't really been in front of goal, though. And Newcastle need a source of goals. They don't have reliable sources of goals. So for me, that is the big, obvious uh, area that Newcastle need uh, need to improve in in the summer. They have, you know, Dwight Gale on the bench. We're, we're always being told how well he's doing in training and that he'll get a chance, but that doesn't seem to happen. So for me, that is the one really big area. Would you agree with me, Mr. Woff? Yes, I mean, I'd like to be different if I could, but I'd be lying. So no, the 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 striker position, or at least certainly adding greater goals to the team. This this the, their top scorer remains Callum Wilson with six goals, and he hasn't played since December. Ansa Maximan second with five. They don't have enough goals in the in the team in general, but certainly not enough up front when Callum Wilson is out injured. So I do think, and all the indications at the moment from the early sort of transfer meetings that Newcastle have had is that they are going to try and prioritise a striker position. And it may end up taking up the majority of the budget given given the sort of budgets we were talking about earlier. If they want to sign a sort of top class player, then it may take up the majority of the budget. Otherwise they may have to go for someone a little less established or a bit younger and try and hope and who will hope and, and believe that they will be the, the person who can provide the goals. I saw someone in the comment section, I think it was Andrew C message saying he, he hopes to sign Bastos just so he gets closure. <laughs> yes, which, which I can entirely understand as well. I think there was a bit of that with Hamza Chowdhury was turning into the Bastos last year, wasn't he? That it seemed like they were always going to be linked to him and close to signing him and never actually well, signed. Roberto Baggio is still at my local fish and chip shop, Chris. He's been in that queue for probably about 15 years now. Who was it who was stuck up in, uh, in, in Jasmine Dean Hotel? No idea. It was the Swiss midfielder, and I can't remember his name. Someone will hopefully put it in the comments section in a second. Well, let's hope so, as I'm wrapping things up. I think that was Tranquilla Barnetta, yes, of course. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I think that was okay after a bit of a sticky start. Anyway, thanks very much for for joining us on this Newcastle-themed live room, courtesy of The Athletic. It's been something a bit different, but reassuringly chaotic, I would like to think. Um, and it uh, it may very well be re- repackaged as a bonus edition of Pot on the Tyne, if that is indeed possible to salvage something from it. Who knows, if we haven't mucked it up too badly, perhaps our bosses might even let us do it all again. Chris, is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap things up? 
Well, just thank everyone for joining us and for listening. And yes, and apologies to Ollie, our producer, if he does have to try and edit this together to make a podcast from it, because it will not be easy. But th- this was fun, and it was it was technologically difficult for all of us to navigate because we are so inept. But I enjoyed it, and hopefully, going forward, we can do more of these and chat to to more subscribers and supporters who can who can come in and listen and and, and ask their questions. And hopefully we'll have a lot more positive things to talk about in the course of the next few months and years. And hopefully we soon will be able to discuss Newcastle being just about mathematically safe. I think they're just about there. I hope they get a win tomorrow night. Um, But as I say, I just do not know what to expect at St. James's tomorrow night. But I'm looking forward to it. And yes, thank you again, everyone, for joining. Yes. And if you're not an Athletic subscriber and you're liking what you've heard, you can sign up right now for a discounted price of just £1 or $1 a month for the first six months of your deal. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to redeem that offer. Yes, thanks very much, everyone. That has been good fun. Just looking through the comments here, 95 million people are saying Varnetta, Tranquillo. Tranquilo Banata, Vanetta Banata. Um, RNS says, great job, lads, who obviously wasn't listening at the start. Darren G also says, well done, lads. Uh, Eb F, who was listening at the start, says, enjoyed it, guys. So thank you. Um, that's been uh, that's been good. Andrew C says, BAFTA winning quality, lads. So clearly not taking the piss there. So yes, thanks very much, everyone. We're all at the Wolves game on Friday night, which feels like a it feels like another big occasion for the team. So please look out for Chris's big read on Alan Maxima. And I'm going to be doing a piece about the game. They'll be out over the next day or so. And then we will be back at the start of the next week. Minus Chris, who needs to lie down in a darkened room, but not an LNER toilet uh, to recover for a little bit. And we will be looking ahead to the Leicester game the following weekend. And we will chat all things NUFC. Till then, ta and thanks again. The Athletic.